0: Good afternoon from Berkeley, California. I'm Franklin, and this is Berkeley Rocks.
1: That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee.
0: Coming from this week's show, Water Planets and Internet Topology.
1: In addition, we'll be joined by Professor Francisco Ayala, who will talk about religion and evolution. So stay tuned for all this, plus the Grokatron 5000,
0: and the world famous question of the week,
1: coming right up here on the Berkeley Rocks Science Show.
0: Frank Ling. And
1: I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How you doing, Frank? Pretty awesome again. You know, I don't think there's ever a week when you're not doing awesome. You're just <laughs> the awesomest guy I've ever seen. Do you take awesome drugs? Whipping cream. Oh, that's brilliant, that.
0: So something I've been wondering, what do you think about the internet? What's it like to you?
1: It's the only friend I've really ever had.
0: <laughs> so what did you confine to it?
1: Undying love for it, really.
0: If you were to pick a vegetable or a fruit, what's the internet like to you?
1: Like celery. Okay, you know. that's
0: interesting. People suggest that you see like a spaghetti or an onion or an orange but what some topologists have now recognized is that essentially as a dense core in its outermost regions a sparsely networked system. Shay Carmi and his colleagues made a mathematical model of the Internet's nodes and what they found is that this core, which consists of about 100 nodes of densely connected nodes, and these include Google and at and RuralNet, they're su- surrounded by a region called the pure connected component, which is more of a lightly connected region. And so within about four links, it's possible to get from anywhere in this pure connected region into anywhere else. But it turns out that the information from the periphery essentially has to travel through the nucleus in order to reach any of the other nodes.
1: Okay, so does this suggest methods for efficient transfer of information through the Internet going through these nodes?
0: Yes, so one of the conclusions is that the communications should be routed in such a way that would avoid the congestion in the nucleus. So somehow to get around that in order to uh, improve the overall networkability and the pure connectedness of the Internet. So anyways, this is a new model for uh, looking at Internet topologies. It's a method they call the K-shell, in which case number of links for each node.
1: Oh, okay. The nodes would have it in the end.
0: And of course, this is from our very favorite journal.
1: Really, there is no other journal in my book. The Proceedings...
0: ...of the National Academy of Sciences.
1: Alright, well, talking about dense cores, what do you think about the blazing hot power of the sun?
0: So far, so good. Getting my daily dose of light and UV and... How
1: about H2O?
0: H2O? Coming from the sun?
1: Well, stars can actually tell whether or not water exists on other planets.
0: On other planets. So is it like some optical technique you're talking about?
1: Yeah, well, uh, so essentially what people are using is an absorbance measurement to see if a planet with water absorbs the light coming from a star if it had water on it. Right. So this is actually a technique that's recently been employed by Travis Barman of Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona to see if he can spot water on extrasolar planets. Okay. So it's been known for quite some time that water exists elsewhere in the solar system, but it's never really been shown on planets outside of our solar system. Right. And particular planet named HD 209458b.
0: Just rolls off my tongue.
1: Yeah, it's a, got a catchy name. I don't really like the 458b part, but... <laughs>
0: Should be 459, right? <laughs>
1: He observed the planet as it passed between its star and the Earth and looked at its absorbance of the star's light Uh and looked at the spectral signature to see what he could make out of it and says that this particular planet seems to have a signature consistent with having water on it. Okay. So the first signs of water on an extrasolar planet Astrophysicist David Carboneau of the Harvard-Smithsonian Center, on which this technique was based, uh, says some problems with how the technique was formed for this particular study, but further studies will tell whether or not it's uh, correct or not. Great. So this was published in a recent edition of the Astrophysical Journal. And that's all for a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology. This is the Berkeley Rocks Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, Dr. Francisco Ayala will join us to discuss religion and evolution. So stay tuned. the Grok's Science Show. Well, the evolutionary theory, as proposed by Charles Darwin, explains much of the variation in life and forms the backbone for modern biology, yet it is constantly under attack from religious groups who see it as opposing their beliefs. But are evolution and religion really irreconcilable, or are the beliefs actually non-contradictory? Well joins today on Berkeley Grass to discuss this issue is Dr Francisco Ayala. Dr Ayala is a university professor of biological sciences at the University of California at Irvine, recipient of the National Medal of Science and a member of the National Academy of Sciences. His research has revolutionized evolutionary theory. However, before pursuing science, he also trained for the Catholic priesthood at a monastery in Spain. In his new book, Darwin's Gift to Science and Religion, he explores the issues of evolution and its relation to religion. Dr. Ayala, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, Well, it's certainly a pleasure, and I think this is certainly a very pressing issue in a modern American society. But I'm curious, are you surprised that the debate uh, regarding evolution and religion continues in this country?
2: I'm not very surprised considering the investment of energy and funds that some groups are making into trying to present evolution and sometimes all of science as materialistic and antagonistic to religion. Uh, It is unfortunate and, and much of the basis of it is a lack of scientific education.
1: What is the central disparity that most of these groups see between evolution and religion?
2: Well, one of them is the so-called literal interpretation of the Bible. If you read the first chapter of Genesis, it says that God created the world in six days. Uh, well, there are some people of faith who are still want to interpret this as a literal narrative, as if the Bible were an elementary book of biology or astronomy. Uh, The Christian tradition going all the way to St. Augustine and even earlier in the fourth century says that that should not be done, that the Bible does does not try to teach us things that we should learn by ourselves, that it's trying to teach us about our relationship with God and with each other. Uh, There is a problem also with that literal interpretation of the Bible that if you finish the first narrative of the creation of the world, which ends on chapter 2, verse 3, then you realize that on verse 4 it starts another narrative, and in this narrative, God creates man, that is the male, of the species first, then creates the rest of the world, the plants and animals, and then at the end of it, puts man to sleep and takes his woman out of that. Well, both narratives cannot be true in the literal sense. But they are true, you take them as uh, religious messages, both are teaching the same thing, that we are creations of God, and that we should revere God, and also that all humans uh, have a, uh, unity, and therefore that we should consider ourselves brethren, and rather than distinguish races or the like. So that literal interpretation of the Bible I think is one of the problems. The other one is the perception that many people of faith seem to have that science is materialistic and therefore antagonistic to spiritual values and yet science deals with different matters uh, and the matters with which religion does. You know science tries to explain the natural world by discovering laws and principles and theories and then testing them by observation and experiment religion treats about of, uh, deals with our relationships with God and with each other and of, about the meaning of life and the purpose of life. So there is no reason why they should be contradictory. In fact, one can see the beauty of the living world and the beauty of the evolutionary explanation of the world as an inspiration to believe in God and and on the other side to perceive uh, faith in God as a reason to study the natural world. So I see science and religion as reinforcing each other rather than being antagonistic.
1: Uh, But don't a lot of groups then see science, or at least the conclusions of science and and evolutionary theory in particular, making less than moralistic judgments about human life and its place in the world?
2: Yes, but scientists who do that are not speaking about scientists. I mean, there are currently in the market uh, two or three best-selling books by authors. Uh, Two of them are good scientists, and who happen to be who are atheists, and and they give a materialistic interpretation of the world. But at the end of the day, science cannot tell us anything about God, neither prove that God exists, nor disprove that God exists, which is what they pretend in their claims of atheism.
1: Hmm. In your training, uh, early, early training as a Catholic priest, the Dominican monks apparently saw the Darwin evolutionary theory as actually being very insightful into maybe explaining evil in the world.
2: Yes, in my studies of theology, as I said, evolution was seen as a Friend, not as an enemy, but that is true also of many theologians all over the world, including in the United States. I would say a majority of theologians see evolution and the theory of evolution as a good development because see one has a problem with the theory of intelligent design, which is now being propagated by anti evolutionists, which they, it claims that God designed specifically organisms and if one believes that one has a problem with the idea of god as an omnipotent and a benevolent god because there are so many dysfunctions so many cruelties so much in the natural world and that attributing those to the specific design of god is, is i would say is blasphemy certainly is not consistent with the idea of a personal god who is omnipotent and benevolent you know why should we attribute to the design of god the birth canal of women which is too small for the easy passage of the head of the baby so that millions of innocent babies have died in the history of humankind because of the defective design i think the way to explain that is by evolution and we have a good explanation for it
1: the sort of disparity between religion and science, it, it doesn't seem to be as prevalent in Europe. Do you think there's a reason for that?
2: Well, I think there is a historical reason and a social reason. The historical reason is the two main religious movements, which are antagonistic to evolution and science, were born in the United States, the Pentecostal Church and the Seventh-day Adventists. And many members of these two churches retain this opposition to science that was uh, advanced earlier by some of the founders of those two churches. The social one is that it's an interesting one because I see in the United States, a country which is resting in two main pillars one science and technology going with science, and the other religion. So we are the most advanced country with respect to science. We are also the most religious country, at least in the Western world. And that religiosity is in turn against. Science by by many people who manipulate the good faith of so many people.
1: The religious groups in this country obviously are trying to meld religious beliefs into science now, the most obvious example being creation science.
2: Well, I need to say first that most religious groups, most theologians, most believers, most preachers do not see an antagonism between science and religion. Most main churches do not see it that way and not a position within, between evolution and religion either. There are a few groups that do and some of these groups are fully committed to propagate their perception that there is an opposition. I think among these groups as I said there are two main roots. One is the people who believe in the literal interpretation of the Bible and then another group very well financed that believes the science is materialistic and we are going to free ourselves from the from a materialistic perception of the world, we have to fight against science and technology. I think that's an unfortunate attitude. The so-called creation science as it was defined in the, around 1980 when the statutes were introduced in a number of states mandating that creation science be taught, in the schools and dedicated at the same time as the theory of evolution is it is not science at all it's- statements that were advanced at the time, and they were presented in the courts, were six statements that essentially summarize the first chapter of Genesis and in a an inter- literal interpretation of it. Now, it should not be taught in the schools as science. I think the Bible and various interpretations of the Bible and religions, beliefs, and the history of religions, they're very good subjects to be taught in schools. And not to teach them as science, which is as much an insult to religion as it is to science. Uh, the modern version of creation science is intelligent design, which is, again, not science at all, because all what they are saying at the scientific level is that evolution is not able to explain the design of organisms. And evolution, of course, can explain the design of organisms. We, we explain it and how these things come about step by step. It's, um, it's impossible to teach a full course of evolution or to convey the message in, in a few minutes, but the fundamental idea is natural selection, uh-huh. which is a very simple idea that uh, like other simple ideas in science were disco- discovered at certain times and then found to be extremely powerful, like the laws of Newton in the 17th century and in the case of natural selection Darwin in the 19th century, it says that since we know that variations hereditary variations arise spontaneously in all sorts of organisms uh, and we know that from doing artificial selection we can create breeds of dogs or cows that produce more milk or chicken that produce more eggs. So we know that mutations as they are called technically occur in organisms and the idea of natural selection simply says those mutations which are useful to the organisms will help the organisms to survive and reproduce and therefore they will be multiplied through the generations. At the expense of mutations that are for or simply are not as beneficial as the others, so that beneficial changes will occur by small steps, one at a time. And you know it's amazing how the modern science is able to explain that in detail. With the revolution of molecular biology, now we can reconstruct the evolution of organisms with as much detail as we may want, and we can reconstruct the evolution of the genes that determine these changes in and have resulted in organs as complex as the eye or anything else.
1: The advantage, of course, is that it's testable, unlike intelligent design, right?
2: That's correct. So that's how we do science. We advance in proposition. Normally we call it a hypothesis when we have a tentative explanation. And then we can check by designing observations and experiments related to that proposition whether it is correct or not. And of course science is cumulative. So the science that we are doing now builds upon the science that was being done last year and the year before and the year before. So The theory of evolution by natural selection proposed by Darwin has expanded and developed tremendously, have been confirmed in many ways, but scientists now are not seeking confirmation of the theory of evolution because they see that as being beyond reasonable doubt. What we are trying is to understand better and better how evolution happens.
1: So, given the fact that evolution is fairly well understood and even almost to an extent proven, uh, why do you think the misunderstanding continues to exist in the American society today?
2: Well, I regret to say as I started that uh, much of it is your scientific ignorance very poor scientific education schools don't do very well at educating our kids and and then also the media don't do much it's not very successfully with uh, conveying the advances and uh, the beauty of science to the general public, so that seems to me to be one problem, one side of the problem. The other, as I said, is the, the literal interpretation of the Bible and the belief by peoples of faith that science is materialistic and antagonistic to religion.
1: What do you think would need to be done then to change this?
2: more education, better education, better science education. You know, compared to European countries, our students in in the public schools, I say through elementary, middle, and high school, study very little science. Much more science is generally taught in, in most Western countries. The other side would be to listen more carefully to religious teachings and for the public at large to listen to the authorities of their religion because the Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, the Episcopalian Church, most mainstream churches of Christianity teach that the Bible is compatible and the, and the religion is compatible with science. The ones who say the contrary are relatively minority groups, except that tend to be people who are very good at manipulating the media and using television and mega churches to propagate their ideas but i think most, most theologians in most christian denominations as well as in judaism and islam are quite ready to accept evolution
1: hmm. uh we're running slightly out of time but I'm, I'm just wondering if you have any final words on the whole issue of science and religion
2: Well, Darwin and evolution were a a great gift to science because they help us to understand the natural world. They are also a great help to religion because they have solved the problem of evil and we can attribute the deficiencies and the cruelties of nature to a natural process without having to attribute them to God as a specific design by God.
1: Dr. Ayala, I do want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, it has been
1: a pleasure. Yeah, it was really a pleasure. And of course, uh, your new book is Darwin's Gift to Science and Religion. Thank you very much That's again. correct. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. And you were just listening to Dr. Francisco Ayala discussing religion and evolution. This is the Berkeley Grox Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned.
2: Focus in the eyes that I could never open wide enough to see me through. And much to my surprise, it never orbits round the things you should hold me to.
1: Science show well now it's time for the world famous question of the week Alright now it's William Tell trying to shoot the mark and how am I going to do that? Well if I'm a chemical reaction perhaps Marcus theory might have that's right moving from one transition state to the other Uses a process of two potential energy wells moving from one to the other in quantum states. That's Marcus theory <clears>
0: Hmm <throat> and know with this week's question of the week slippery the forces but turbulent the dark side it can become hmm but we can figure it out with the law of Stokes. If you know or think you know what the Stokes law is, email us at grox at hotmail You won't win anything, but you will know the difference between laminar and turbulent. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grox.
1: Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology.
0: If you'd like to contact us here at Grox, you can email us at grox at Hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grox, I'm Frank Ling. And
1: I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music.